name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. So, um, just one quick question. Is this recording? Yeah? We'll just, turn, we'll, just, we'll just turn that on. Thanks a lot, everyone, for your patience with the technology. Um, a lot of people asked for this to be recorded, and so uh, we're, we're making an effort to do that. Anxiety Antidote Session 2. So a quick disclaimer. Um, as already mentioned, most of the series is based on this book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways. This is not a religious book. It is not an orthodox book. It is a secular book. And most of what's there is really good. But there's something that's come up several times that I just have to make a quick, like a, like a quick verbal disclaimer about. So the author really is really uh, prone. Like she's really trying to tell us, take charge of your life and don't let, um, don't let the, the things in your life that you're not happy with be things that you're stuck with in your life forever. Right? So, um, and... One of those things that she puts in that category is an unhappy marriage. So you can imagine that, like with all with all my respect to the author, and um, you know she's uh, she's gone on to bigger and better places now, and other people who feel that way, and I respect everyone. But obviously, I would probably have a different approach, um, uh, except in you know like un- very unusual circumstances. So. I, I still recommend the book highly, uh, but just know that you know it doesn't come necessarily from the same place that I'm coming at from. But I certainly benefited a lot from it, and that's why um, that's why I, I used it sort of just as a framework for us to discuss this. If you remember last week, we were talking about how fear and anxiety are not things that we're ever gonna get rid of entirely. But since they're here and here to stay. Um, and no matter what you do, as long as you go out of your comfort zone, you're going to encounter them somehow. Because as long as you, whenever you're at the threshold of known to unknown, of comfort, right, to, to newness, there's always going to be apprehension. Um, I guess the issue is, how am I going to deal with it, right? So... Um, if, if, if there's something in my life that isn't going to change, maybe the thing that can change is actually me. And that's kind of the approach that we took last week, right? Um, and uh, we kind of used this statement a few times that I'm powerful and I'm loved. And a lot of people can say that and they can have all kinds of reasons for saying that and power, power to them. But, um, but those who have a true and personal and real experience of the Lord Jesus Christ can say that um, knowing that the person who loves them and is, is infusing them with power is someone who isn't going anywhere, right? Um, and uh, just, you know, power to all, but, um, but the Lord Jesus Christ um, is here to give you and me that, that knowledge, that confidence that, hey, I have somebody who's got my back. Um, and we talked about this kind of like flow chart of going from pain to power and asking ourselves every time I say something, every time I make a decision, am I, am I doing it from a position of pain or a position of power? And if I'm in a position of pain, am I working towards power or am I driving myself further into my black hole of pain? And we used a variety of different tools and we had some handouts that we gave out to everybody. And if you didn't get one last week, come up to the front afterwards and we'll try to give you one. 
Um, and we also had this pain to power vocabulary and we said we were going to try to use power vocabulary. And the example that I commonly give because it's my day to day is when someone says I want to meet you, want to go out for coffee, want, I, I want to see you Father John. And I oftentimes say I can't. And my subconscious we were saying last week registers that as powerless, as impotent, as unable, as pain, Right? My, my subconscious can't make the difference between I have made a whole lot of assertive and positive decisions that have filled my schedule for the next two days and that's why I can't meet this person until three days from now, right? My subconscious just registers can or can't, very simply. So the more we use I can't, I shouldn't, I'm unable, it's my fault, it's a problem, the more we use these words, the more our subconscious registers that I am a in a position of pain. And then, we're going to talk today about the little chatterbox in my head. Then, the, all those words that I've been saying, they don't just sit there somewhere tucked away nicely. They come back out and they chatter at me, right? So we want to fill our subconscious with words of power. So instead of, I can't, I won't. I would love to meet you today, but I've already committed to a whole bunch of things that are really are very important to me. Maybe I can meet you in two days. So, and I honestly, I'm telling you the truth. It's been three weeks. I've been like struggling to do that because I'm not a semantics person, right? I'm a big picture person. So I don't like it when people just change words up and they're saying the same thing, right? But in this instance, if you change the words up and you're just saying the same thing, but you use different words, your subconscious registers it as, as I've made decisions, I like them, I prefer them, I'm happy with them, I'm in a good place, and this thing is really good too, and I'm going to do it a little later, or I'm going you know, to find another way to, to negotiate all of these things. So we gave this out last week as well. And the last thing we said is that there's this, this, this border between the known and the unknown. And it's, it's at that border that all of this anxiety, it's at that geographic location that all this anxiety and fear happens, right? As long as I sit in my comfort zone, comfortable and warm, nothing, nothing is going to happen. But every time I take a little risk and I just, you know, put my toe in, you know, in the water on the other side of that, right, then... Um, then it, 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 goes, um, it goes away, right? The fear goes away because the, the, the area that was unknown to me becomes familiar. So that kind of sums up last week. And I'm really, really worried about this week, I tell you the truth, because I don't think you're going to like this week. I don't think you're going to like it. I can tell you when I first read it, I didn't like it either. So try... In as much as you're able to, to withhold that visceral reaction of, that's not right, you're wrong. Or everybody else, but not for me. Like, you don't know what I'm going through. Try, try to try, if you can, to withhold that reaction. I put, I put this book down about three times before I told myself, let me just see, let me just see what, what this holds. The reality is, is that... Responsibility and power are intimately connected. So, um, at work, you know, you'll do something well and they give you more responsibility. You do that well, they give you more responsibility. This concept of graduated responsibility, it's a great way to learn and it's sort of how the, the, the world has evolved, right? Um, it works in our subconscious as well, right? 
The more I say I can't, I, I would, I'd get another job, but I can't because I'm not of the right skin color. I don't speak uh, English well. I this, I that. And we have a million and one reasons why we can't do things and none of them are in our control. Necessarily, if you're going to pick one word to describe that, is it going to be pain or is it going to be power? So the more, the more I absolve myself of responsibility, I may comfort my conscience, but I'm just digging myself deeper into the hole of pain. Right? The only thing that is going to get me out of there is to accept responsibility for my life. This is my life. I didn't make it. I didn't make all the things that are in it. But I have the choice to make some choices. I do have control. In fact, I have all the control in my life. Nobody else has control in my life as much as I do. Maybe you say, well, that's not true, Father John. Other people control things that affect my life. Indeed, they do. But who has the most control of your life? You. Who has the most control of my life? Me. So until I accept control and I take control in my life, I'm just going to kind of keep slipping further down into the pain pit. I'm not telling you to accept responsibility for the natural disasters of the world. And there are natural disasters in the world around us and there's natural disasters that happen in our life or maybe they're unnatural. But anyways, right? The point is, I'm not telling you to, to and we're gonna, get to, we're gonna get very specific and very clear about all of this, right? right? But sometimes when we are in a position of power, even when natural disasters happen, we're able to do something about them. I had a friend of mine, really, really good friend um, of mine who was on a government secret mission, literally, in Haiti during the earthquake. And he was sitting in a pickup truck and he says he felt like he was on a roller coaster. Like all of a sudden, he was like looking at the ground, and he was looking at the sky, and he was looking at the ground, and he was looking at the sky. And the whole thing lasted for like no more than 20 seconds, but it was like really weird, right? And he said it, it felt exactly like I was on a roller coaster. And then when he looked outside, there were just dead bodies everywhere, and arms and legs and heads and just kind of sticking out of the rubble, right? He was supposed to travel home the next day. And, his, and the government offered to fly him back that same day. Or whatever, like I don't know, like, like as soon as the airports were open, blah, 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 blah. He didn't fly back. He stayed. Collecting dead bodies and trying to get families to help them to recognize their dead so they could bury their dead gracefully. Right? Natural disasters hit, and when they hit, they hit hard, right? But if, you're, if I'm in a position of power, I'll be in a position to help. If I'm in a position of pain, I can hardly hold it together myself already, and that's okay. That's okay. This isn't like a judgment session, right? But I, I, won't, have, I won't have anything to give to myself or to give to others. So this is the time... This is the time to start making that transition from pain to power, right? We don't control all the things that happen to us in life. What we do control is how we deal with them. So you don't get to, con you don't get to choose your parents, 
You don't get to choose your siblings, your children. You don't get to choose your, your coaches and your teachers and early childhood. All those things have enormous effect on your character, your personality. We don't get to choose any of that, right? But we don't get to choose any of that. But you do get to choose what you're going to do about it now, right? And you may or may not feel that you have a lot of power, and that's fine. You may feel that you're at the bottom of a barrel of pain, and you have no power at all. That's fine. You may say, Father John, what you're saying, that applies to the people who are at the top of the ladder, not the, not the people like me. That's fine. But you still have the choice whether you want to stay there or whether you want to move one rung up. You don't need to move like we're talking, we're talking about evangelism. We don't need to go from zero to a hundred all, all in one millisecond, right? Everything in life happens gradually. We're going to talk a lot more about this very, very spe specifically. But I want to start off with a story. Right? My first real breakup. So this was in, in college, at the summer um, between my, my two years of college. And um, I met this girl. Um, she was absolutely not good for me. But she loved, loved God very much. She was very, very different and very firm in her Christianity and in her faith, but just very different. Anyhow, she traveled abroad for a month and a half. And while she's away, she got, got kind of cold. And when she came back, I, I tried to pick her up from the airport. Despite my parents not wanting me to, they wanted me not, to do nothing with her. And oh my goodness, right? And I had this enormous fight with my dad. Basically, like, I'm moving out kind of fight. Stormed out of the house. Took the car. Went to go pick her up from the airport. And she didn't wait at the airport. She left. And I waited, I waited, I waited for hours. And I realized, like, it all kind of came together, right? Like, that's it. It's done. And I really, really loved her. And I'm really close to my family, my parents and my sister. But at this point, they had completely, like, cut me off, stopped talking to me. My parents and my sister, they're great people. I drove them crazy, okay? Like, they're the good ones in this story, not, not me, okay? Don't sympathize with me, right? I, I'm the idiot, okay? Right? <laughs> in this story, right? But so here I am, and I've, I've, really, got, I've really got nothing because... The people I would turn to have cut me off. She's nowhere to be found. <sighs> Thank God that um, earlier that year, uh, a bishop had visited our church and he gave this sermon about Philippians. He did a Bible study of Philippians, the whole book, in about, in about 45 minutes or an hour or so. And uh, my mom gave it to me. She said, you know, listen to this. You might like it. You know, when you're on the bus going or coming or whatever, right? And my Arabic wasn't so good, so I didn't think I would really get it. And he had a bit of a, like a thick, you know, accent in Arabic that I was not familiar with. But I listened to it, and I actually really liked it. So I started listening to it all the time. In fact, I would listen to it on double speed while I was studying, like I memorized it. So it just became like elevator music to me. I listened to the sermon, I don't know, probably like a thousand times, okay? And this talk is largely based from that sermon. I still have it somewhere. I can dig it up for anybody who would want it, right? There I was. Everything had fallen apart. My, the rug had been pulled out from under my feet. Life went from perfect, going to med school, you know, this and that. Everything was perfect in my life, despite my parents that don't talk to me, but when you're 19, like, that doesn't really matter, right? Uh, and, uh, right? Everything was perfect, gone to everything is gone, right? There I was, sitting in the car, and I'm like, I just didn't know what to do with myself. Like, I can't go home. I just, so I called up my friend, 
who's now a Bonacrolos in Montreal, and he said, let's go, let's, let's go grab a bite, you know, can you meet me here? So I said, sure. So I started the car, and I started driving, and I was on the highway, and I was crying so hard, I promised you I couldn't see in front of me. And I, re- I didn't care, really. If I drove right off the highway, it's like an overpass. If I drove right off of it and died, at that point, I couldn't have cared, right? And I remember thinking that thought and saying, who cares, right? I was really upset, really, really upset. And at that moment, it's almost as if I could hear St. Paul sitting next to me. I didn't see a vision. I didn't hear like a voice in my ears. But it's almost as if St. Paul was sitting next to me saying, can you do all things through Christ who strengthens you or not? And I was like, uh, this isn't the time for a sermon, right? And, but like, like the question was asked again, you know? And, um, and it was the first time for my, in my life that I actually paid attention to the context. See, we take this verse completely out of context. And we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can jump off a tower and fly like Superman. I can do... That's not what, that's not what St. Paul was talking about at all. This is what St. Paul is saying. Now I speak... Now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying, I've learned that, you know what, all those things that you think you really need, like Maslow's like pyramid of basic needs, yeah, you don't really need them. God can take care. God can take care. I've learned how to be hungry. I've learned how to be full. I've been in prison. I've been shipwrecked. I've been in this, clinging to a log in the sea for three days. You know? I've learned that, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who who strengthens me. Jesus says in John 15, you can do nothing without me. So let's be clear where the power is coming from. When I say I am powerful and I am loved, we clearly know that the power is coming from Christ. If this is indeed true, if this is indeed true, then I can take responsibility for how I experience things in my life. I have that choice. You have that choice. But I have to accept it and I have to do something about it. Right? Continuing to say, it's not my fault. It's that person's fault. That's not going to help. So just to kind of finish the story, I learned three lessons that day. I, I heard that and I just, it struck me. It struck me that God could make me joyful even in this moment. I parked the car. I got to the place sooner than Abuna Krolos did. His name was Murad at the time. And uh, sooner than Mo did. And I parked and I just sat on the, on the sidewalk waiting for him. And I just burst out laughing. And I realized that even if you've lost everything that means anything to you in the world, you still, you still have God. I learned, I learned many, lessons, many lessons that day that I'll keep forever. And I'm very grateful to God for having been there with me. So, this is like the key slide, the whole talk, right? The path of responsibility. Don't blame anyone else. And don't blame yourself. Just don't blame. Blame, shame, and guilt. It's a slide coming up later. Those of you who know me well have heard me say this a thousand times. Blame, shame, and guilt. Nothing, rarely does anything good come out of that, right? 
I don't know if I heard that somewhere or whatever. I don't know who I'm quoting. Maybe I just made it up. But honestly, think about it. Blame, shame, and guilt. What good ever came out of that? You, sometimes you can guilt yourself into doing something out of your, outside your nature to do. And you do it for like 20 seconds. And then you, you know, f fall apart, right? Nothing good comes from that, right? Recognize the clues of like a victim role coming, coming towards me, right? Familiar, familiarize yourself with the chatterbox that's talking in, 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 in your head. Figure out the payoffs that keep you stuck. We're going to go through all of these things, but I'm just reading them out to you. Determine what you want in life and act on it, right? Be aware of the many choices you have and act accordingly. So blame. Never blame any, anyone else for anything that you're being or doing or feeling, right? No one else goes in my head and tells me what to think. So I have, at least in the little micro world of my head, I'm allowed to think whatever I want to think. If I want to think I'm Superman, if I want to think whatever, I can think whatever I want to think, right? So I'm in control of my mind, I'm in control of my thoughts to a large degree, right? And giving that away to people, saying that's because this person made me do it, I'm giving away my power. Every time I blame somebody, I'm giving them power in my life. I'm saying here, take over, thank you very much, take over that aspect of my life, right? I need to take responsibility and not blame myself. So nothing good is going to come from that either. And I was actually praying about this and I was thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, but how does this relate to like repentance and confession, right? No, accepting responsibility is not the same necessarily as blaming myself. I, yes, I could have done this and this and that, but I didn't because I was doing this and this and that. And that was a bad decision. And I've learned from it, and hopefully I'll do better next time. By God's help, by His grace, and He will cover all of my need. So I can, I can admit fault without blaming myself, without saying all that other stuff. You're so stupid, you're this, you're that, why did you do that? And all that stuff. Blame, shame, and guilt. Nothing good comes from that department, you know? So just make a commitment with me today that in as much as I'm conscious of it, I'm just not going to participate. You know what I mean? I'm just not going to go there. Because very, very little happens. Happen, good things happen there. Then there's the moan and groan society. Right? If you pay attention carefully, you'll find some people, and me maybe sometimes, right, have every reason in the world why these bad things happen to us. Right? And essentially, I'm a victim of the universe. Right? And I'm a victim of every person out there, and every person out there has it better than me, and so on. Right? The reality is, the, re the reality is, is that it happens to all of us and it sneaks up on all of us. And it's not, you know, those of us who have a lot of self-pity, we don't do it because we're bad people or we, because we are, are upset and happy being upset. But because in the moment it seems like the easiest thing to do, right? It's the same reason that, that, uh, that some of us eat to feel better or, or participate in whatever other pleasures to feel better. It doesn't make it right. And I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying that, you know, it's out of weakness, right? And that's fine, right? And I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody and I'm including myself in all of this, right? But what I'm saying 
is if we say it's out of weakness, so let me just stay in my weakness, well, guess what's going to happen? You're going to stay in your weakness, right? Like nothing's going to happen. So if we want to move from pain to power, it's very simple. We can accept that this is, this is a weakness that, 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 that bothers me, right? And I don't want to go there. And the best thing about this is I can sense what there's always something that comes before, before self-pity, right? But right before self-pity always comes some of these feelings. I get angry with so-and-so because they didn't do for me this thing. I get upset with this person. I get impatient with that person. I blame that person. I'm jealous of that person. I'm disappointed with this person, right? Well, the thing I'm disappointed with, I'm disappointed with this person because they didn't do whatever, whatever they said they were going to do. Why don't I just do it? Why don't I just do it? See the difference? Like if I say, okay, I'm going to do for myself the things that I want to be done. Like I asked somebody to do something. They didn't do it. So I'm disappointed. And then I get upset. And then, and then, comes, and then comes the self-pity, right? But if I get disappointed, okay, I get disappointed. And then I just stop myself and say, you know what? What is preventing me right now from doing that thing that I asked somebody to do? Suppose you just don't have the time. I can pick up the phone and call somebody else and ask them to do it, right? Or, or whatever, right? Whatever, whatever applies to you. Next is the chatterbox. The chatterbox sounds something like this. I took, I took an example straight out of the book because... Uh, I don't want anybody to think that I'm sharing private conversations or anything, but you'll know, you'll re- some of you will recognize this, and you'll know that we all do this, right? Sounds, a chatterbox sounds something like this. If I call him, maybe he'll think I'm too pushy. Or maybe if I don't call him, he'll think I'm not interested. But if I call him and his message machine is on, he'll wonder, um, I wonder where he is, and it'll ruin my whole evening because I'll know he's out with another woman. Or if I don't call him, he'll, I'll wonder anyways, maybe I shouldn't go out tonight. Um, he might call, and then he'll think I'm out with someone else, and then he'll think I don't care. But if I call, he'll really know I'm interested, and he'll probably start backing away from me. I wonder why he hasn't called. Maybe I was too cool that afternoon when I bumped into him for lunch. Maybe I should have been a little bit warmer with him. I wish I'd been wearing something more attractive. I look so fat in this outfit. (laughs) And my makeup was terrible. It goes on and on. There's like pages of this, right? You know what I mean, right? And honestly, you know, this is put in the persona of of a young woman. Honestly, young men do it too. Older people do it too. We all do it. If I would have said this, maybe I should have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have said anything at all. Maybe I should say something now. Maybe, 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 maybe. And the chatterbox keeps going on and on and on. And it's not, I want to tell you something. It's like the pain guy. I, I live, I live in a, like, I, I, my world is very crowded, okay? I've got the pain guy. I've got little Mr. Chatterbox. I've got all these people that live with me, okay? And I've realized something. The pain guy isn't going away, right? I just need to tell him to settle down. The anxiety guy, I need to learn how to relate to him so I can see him as excitement instead of as anxiety, right? The chatterbox is not going to shut up, right? He's not going anywhere and he's not going to be quiet. But he's teachable, right? So we can teach him to chatter good stuff rather than chatter dumb stuff, right? And if we can teach him to chatter good stuff, that is empowering. That fills you with power and enthusiasm and excitement. And that is a lot more fun to be around 
than the person who is sitting wallowing in their self-pity. The reality is, is that we've gotten used to never being alone, right? And so now, oftentimes, if, if nobody's around, people turn on the radio or the television or this or that, right? And Usher Anthony Bloom, in uh, Beginning to Pray, great book on prayer, best book, best book on prayer as a whole, like just as in general, in general thing, like looking at prayer very generally, beginning to pray by Archbishop Anthony Bloom, right? And he says something. The first realization most people come to when they sit alone with themselves is that they're bored. And the second realization that comes to them is that, well, the only person who's here is me. So I must be very boring, right? And the reality is, is that it takes a little bit of practice to learn how to be alone and be okay with it. How to be alone with myself and just be, just be okay with it, right? This is a painful one. Our pain position, our pity position has payoffs, right? As long as I accept the fact that I am not suited to get whatever the job, right? because I'm the wrong skin color, because I'm this, because the world is prejudiced because of this, then that allows me to stay in my comfort zone. That allows me not to try, not to put myself out there. Not, that allows me to stay away from the fear of disappointment and so on and so on. All the decisions that we make to stay in a position of pain, they actually, they actually give us something in return. But to use the language of the fathers, what they give us in return is a counterfeit. The comfort that I get, because I get to stay in my, I get to stay in my zone of comfort. But I'm not happy. But I'm not satisfied. But I know this isn't right. I know it's not right for me. I know I'm not in the right place. Right? So it comes at a price. What is suggested is that. You look at your position that you're not happy with, and you sit down and write what your payoffs are. And do a, you know, put them in the balance and say, I could, have, I could have the job that I want, the relationship that I want, whatever it is. Right. Or I can keep these payoffs. What do I want to do? I tell you the truth, when I tried to do this, I couldn't list a single payoff for one of the big things that bothers me. So, I was reading at the dining room table, so I asked Mary, you know, hey, Mary, what do you think about this? Why do you think, what positive secondary benefits do you think I get from this negative situation? Mary was able to list like 20, <laughs> right? Often when we're in the situation, we don't realize what our payoffs are. We don't realize that staying in this mentality, staying in this mindset, staying in this framework, we don't, we don't see the, the, li the little bits of, of, of candy that we're getting for it. And so it's hard for us to really be a little bit more objective. Lastly, set a goal. And go for it. Like smart goals, specific, measurable, and so on. And we'll talk a lot more about that soon. But, um, right? Set a goal. Like, if, if, I, if, if I don't like my job and I've always wanted to start my own business... That's great. Start your own business. Well, I don't have the capital. That's fine. Save for it. Make, make a savings goal. You know, learn, learn, you know, figure out 
how to save. There is a million and different ones ways to save to save money. Make that if that's what you really want. Shoot for it. Get it. Do it. And you can do it. And we're going to talk all about that in our next series. Just a little quick plug for it. Um, Making 2017. That's our next series. It's all about goal setting. About two or three years ago, I learned the difference between resolutions and goals. And it has been life-changing for me to set goals instead of set resolutions. Because I'm actually doing something and my life is actually changing in a direction I want it to change. Um, But that's all about our next series, which will start in three weeks. So we have choices. We have choices. When somebody's supposed to come and meet me and they come late, right? I have the choice. I have the choice to sit there and be frustrated. I have the choice to get up and leave, to say, I've been, I waited five minutes. They're more than five minutes late. Send them a text message to say, I'm so sorry. I would have loved to stay, but I have another appointment after you. And it's kind of meaningless for us to meet now. Because, you know, you're going to get here, we're going to sit together for like 15 minutes. So, uh, maybe we should reschedule. To politely, I have choices. Yes, the other person was late, and they messed up this appointment for me. Yes, that is true. But I have the choice to just sit there and fume in my skin. Or, by the way, in my appointments, I'm always the one who's late. So, I just, I just took a, re- for those of you, no, no, I just took an appoint- uh, example that would not be realistic, right? But I have the choice. I have the choice to, to, uh, to, to, to be the one who sit there and fume in my skin, get up and leave, reschedule, accept, just accept that, you know, know this person is always late, refuse to ever meet them again, or just bring a good book with me and know that, hey, schedule them for an hour and a half because, you know, they're always going to be late half an hour, and that means I get half an hour to read and to enjoy myself, either before they come or after they leave, Right? We have choices. And as much as we feel our life is subject to other people, it's not. And if you're anything like me, I was reading all of this thinking, yeah, but that's not realistic. Right? And the author was, is, so, is so good at this, she's, she was totally able to anticipate that, you know, I, when I, I'm not an Eeyore, but when I see Tiggers bouncing around all over the place, I think to myself, that's not, it's not realistic to just go through life Thinking that you're powerful and you're happy and everything is good. And if it's not good, I'm going to take it in a good way. Like that's not, that's not realistic, right? So she, she comments on that and she says, over 90% of the things we worry about don't ever materialize, right? So if we're talking about what's realistic, to worry ceaselessly or to enjoy good things that, are, that may happen to you, which is more probable? <laughs> Well, by 90%, the good things are going to happen. Only 10% of the time does the bad stuff happen. I'm not, saying that we shouldn't, I'm not saying that we shouldn't worry or we shouldn't think, like, or we shouldn't be concerned or we shouldn't, uh, you know, we should just live like whimsically and like lackadaisically and not really pay attention to things. I'm not saying that. We should plan and all that good stuff. But I'm just saying that when the little voice comes in my head and says, that's not realistic, well, actually it is. It's actually more realistic that the good stuff is going to happen, then the bad stuff is going to happen. Because most of the time, the good stuff does happen. There's this demonstration, but we just don't have time to do it. We can do it after we pray and stuff, right? Um, uh, you know, you ask a friend to stand with their arms outstretched like this, right? And ask them to repeat 20 times. Ask them to repeat 20 times. 
I am a weak and unworthy person. I am a weak and unworthy person. I am, and so on, right? No matter how big or small they are, you'll be able to push their arms down. Then do it the other way around. I am a powerful and worthy person. I am a powerful and worthy person. I am a powerful and worthy person. 20 times, you won't be able to push their arms down. So I wish I'd, we had time to do it. And then you can do it, you can do it with, the, with like the other person. And, and you know what's the best part of this? Is the person who's saying the words doesn't even have to believe them. And it works. They don't even have to believe them. And it works. Right? It works. It works to say and to know positive affirmations. That's what these words are called. They're called affirmations. Right? You can find a lot more stuff written about this by a guy called Napoleon Hill and also by, by Norman Vincent Peale. And the reality is, is these books are old. These aren't, these aren't new things. They're not new concepts. These are old concepts, right? But nobody does them. The reason that, that we don't do them, or if we do them, we do them for a short period of time, and then things kind of fall apart. So I'll just kind of speed up the list a, a, a little bit. Is because we need constant, we need constant reminders, right? We need constant reminders, Bishop Moses, in his book, Milestones of the Kingdom Way, writes and says that listening to holy media, just passively listening to holy media, purifies us without us realizing, right? And that's, I guess, what I was doing with that that sermon uh, that I was listening to on double speed, like my entire college career, right? And you can find tons of positive, truthful media, To be honest with you, to be honest with you, that's exactly what the church has set up for us, right? The church has set up for us to pray seven times a day. I'm not suggesting that you jump into the full liturgical cycle of the church. But if you did, it would consume about eight hours of your time a day. If you did it like slowly and thoughtfully and so on, right? But the reality of that, the reality of that is you're constantly being bombarded by these positive statements and these positive affirmations. Just today when I was, you know, praying the Psalms before the liturgy, you know, and I can't believe I've never really been struck by this before, but Psalm 19 is so positive. Right at the beginning, right at the beginning of the ninth hour, uh, the third hour, which is like around 9 a.m., which is like the beginning of your workday. So we'll finish by, um, we'll finish my talk by praying that. There's all kinds of resources. I put some here for you, but the bottom line there is true. Ask, ask for resources. You don't know. I want to listen to stuff that's positive. Like ask, and I will point you in those directions. You can get promise cards, right? Just on Amazon, right? Little cards with God's promises. Put them everywhere. Put one on your screen at work. Put one in your car. Put one here. Put them everywhere, right? The reality is, is if we develop a routine... And it has to be, this has to be thoughtful, like it has to be intentional, right? Where I'm going to wake up in the morning and the first thing I'm going to listen to, because the chatterbox is going to be ready to go, right? So I need to have something positive to tell my chatterbox, why don't you say this instead? But the chatterbox is going to be ready to go with, with you have this meeting and you have this and you have to worry and you're worried about this and you're worried about that. So I need to have something, something ready to supplement that. When I get into the car, when I get to the office, when I, right before I go to nasty meetings, I have this, I have this one Bible verse, this one prayer, this one psalm, this, this one, you know, maxim said by some wise, smart person, right? Whatever it may be, right? That helps me stay positive and stay on track.
There's somebody that you, you absolutely have to look up if you haven't. His name is Nick Wojcic. He's a young man. I'd love to invite him someday in Australia who was born without any limbs. And this man has done things that no one, no able-bodied person as is otherwise defined, could do. He, he preached to a crowd of over, I think, 50 or 80,000 in a stadium in Cairo. Preached the gospel. Like that. In Malaysia, in Indonesia, right? Like God is using him to do things that are impossible. In his words, Jesus says nothing is impossible. He says impossible is nothing to God. Find yourself positive people, wherever they are, to talk to, to, to support you, to support your walk. People who don't think that all of this is crazy. People who don't think that all this is, is, is brainwashing yourself into madness. People who think that the chatterbox and all the negative things the chatterbox has to say, that that's brainwashing yourself into madness. Not this, right? Surround yourself with those positive people. You find them at church. You find them wherever you find them. May God help you to find them. May God help us in our walk to continue, to continue our walk to become free of all of this fear and anxiety that's holding us back from that position of power being who we really want to be. If you want, we can stand up and I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pray this, this psalm um, and we'll finish with, uh, with one psalm. Imagine, just imagine, if every day of your week started with this song. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the, his sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation, and the name of our God will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with saving strength on his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have stood and risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, may the King answer us when we call. Alleluia.